Welcome, Red Sox fans. Here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome, everyone. The Bastards are back for this early week edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a four-game set against the New York Yankees, winning the series three games to one. They are currently one game ahead of the second-place Tampa Bay Rays. As always, a quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners. This is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. You can harass me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can also find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining us tonight from the city of Westwood, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? I'm good. I'm uh, doing better than Giancarlo Stanton anytime he steps in the batter's box. Oh, my God. That guy doesn't know how to play baseball anymore. It's unbelievable. And I reminded Yankees fans, I'm like, it's okay. Only eight more years of them. Only eight. It's it's okay. It'll go by like a flash. That's what it is. Eight years, something like that. Oh yeah, he signed okay. through twenty twenty nine. Yeah. Oh, I uh, I figured it was at least six or seven, but yeah, Stanton's got to be hating life. Boone has to be hating life. Cashman, it's uh, it's a brutal time to to be in New York. Also joining us tonight from the city of Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. Charlie, how are you? I'm doing great. This isn't me putting up a high five. This is me calling five straight series in a row. That means that Andrew and Terry were the negative Nancys last episode, and I (laughs) said the Red Sox were going to win three, baby. And it took until the bottom of the eighth inning today for me to be right. So I am feeling real damn fine. We made two games in this division and we're just, uh, you know, one game ahead in first place, which is, it's going to be tough coming up because the Yankees have a nice little, an easy streak series coming up for them. So we'll see. I copped out and just picked a split and I figured that was the, the safe pick. And, uh, uh, hey man, I went, I went long. I went long shots. Like, you know what? I think they could do three. The only two that I got wrong was the Garrett Cole and Game Three. Those are the two that I flip flopped. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I should I should start gambling like Joe, man. I'd start making stupid money. <laughs> <laughs> so, Charlie, uh, your Twitter handle for anyone to harass you or any creepy females want to stalk you or you know whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's been super fun. I've gotten all sorts of stupid shit the last week. It's been great. So it's Smith underscore MLB. Smith underscore MLB. And Jason, as always, I skipped over you. What is your Twitter handle? Yeah, mine is uh, at Color of the Iris. Um, You'll see me with my nice long hair. It's hard to miss me. So (laughs) go ahead and yell at me for disparaging the Yankees all year long because that's what I've been doing. So. 
There you go. Before we get going on the series, I have to tell you about our sponsor, uh, Manscaped. Summer is here. Are you ready to unveil your beach bod? You are in luck. Our friends at Manscaped just launched their fourth generation performance package, which includes the Lawnmower 4.0. Not kidding, Jason. The Lawnmower 4.0. Nice. Compliment your summer bod with a trim from the leaders in male grooming. The sun is shining and calling your name, fellas. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get ready for that hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. Manscaped will even throw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0. Those are the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at Mansided, <laughs> manscaped.com. That's, again, 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. Escape the shrubs and weeds this summer and shine with Manscaped. Fun fact, our audience is only 13% female, so according to uh, the metrics on Well, some maybe sites. maybe if more of our listeners use Manscaped, then that number will go up. <laughs> yeah. Get on it, guys. Come on. Absolutely. So just to kind of set the tone here, it was a four-game set. We did win three out of the four, like Charlie brilliantly predicted. I do want to say, despite it being a very successful series, especially considering last weekend dropping essentially two out of three, this was a roller coaster. This whole weekend was a roller coaster. Thursday, we steal it from them. Friday, we beat them straight up. That was the Garrett Cole start, so go figure. Then on Saturday, they steal one from us after Avoldi's brilliant performance. And then today, in the eighth inning, we steal it back from them by putting up five runs to make it 5-4. And that was the final. So thoughts on how, how the weekend went? It was um, more of a pulse pounder than I thought it would be. Uh, going going up against the Yankees, like these Yankee series don't have the same spice that they used to because the Yankees are just kind of a joke right now, especially when you look at their lineup that they're trotting out. I mean, even today, they just got Gio Urshela back today. Um, they still don't have Aaron Judge. You know, Giancarlo Stanton looks like a joke in the batter's box. DJ LeMayhew is, he's producing, but he's not being DJ LeMayhew. He's not you know, he's hitting in the 260s still. Um, and their pitching's been good, maybe better than expected, but they're still underperforming. So I looked at the series going, you know what? Like, I hope they at least win three out of four because this Yankees team just isn't good. They're not going anywhere. Like, and you know what? They're the Yankees. They're going to make acquisitions at the deadline. We all know they will, but they're still not good. And I kind of went in going, you know what? Like, if we 
split the series, I'll be okay. If we lose three out of four, I'll be pissed. Like, that's kind of the way it's going with this team. It's like, when you go up against the Yankees, you shouldn't lose a series. If you split, okay. Maybe something went hinky, one of those games, whatever. Um, I'm glad they were able to salvage three out of four. But it's, I don't know, it was still, it was kind of a little more, a little closer than I wanted it to be. So, um, I'm just going to say, Hinky's a new one. That, that, that's not my favorite one that Jason comes up with. Throws up on your shoes is my favorite Jasonism. Um, I look pretty good when the light hits me right. And uh, I make some pretty damn good calls, at least the last five series. The two games that should really let you know just how bad New York is. Tanner Houck, I think, is underrated. I think he's one of the better pitchers, like, up and coming, and I think he's going to be someone that other teams need to keep an eye on. You got clapped by a kid who didn't even throw five innings, hasn't really had that much Major League experience. And then in Game 2, when arguably your supposedly, like, number two three-starter goes down after one inning because of a really bad migraine, y'all just got clapped by a guy who literally had the same number of strikeouts all last month, and if you... Seven strikeouts in three innings for Phillips Valdez. This guy's no, he's nobody. And he just clapped you guys. Like, there's an expression being used by the kids these days. Talk to me nice. Yankees have to show some major respect now because Boston just showed them who their daddy was. And it wasn't (laughs) even close. It wasn't even close. Like, that one game got out of hand um, only at the end because it was almost over. And then it was just like, we couldn't get that last out and everything was smooth sailing. Guess what? Same shit happened today where we were getting no hit. We were getting no hit and y'all still got clapped. So <laughs> what, like, what can you possibly say this series? If this doesn't put it in perspective, I don't think there's any question. If you're a Yankees fan and you think that your team is better than Boston, you got some really good stuff that you're smoking. I hope you share it with your pals because you guys are going to be needing it for the rest of the season. And Giancarlo stand for eight more years? Holy crap, that hurts so bad. So bad. The Yankees at this very moment, which for us is Sunday night, are three and a half games out of the wild card. So in Brian Cashman's mind, he can he might be able to catch up, he, he could think. And the Yankees did play a couple of wild card games in years past. Uh, 2017 was one of those years. 2018 as well, actually. They play, played Oakland back-to-back in those uh, years. So I don't think they're afraid of the wild card. But if they're going to be a bona fide contender, they need one starting pitcher minimum, one bullpen arm minimum, and probably a couple of bats. That's four pieces to, to get serious here. I haven't seen any updates on... Luis Severino, but he could be back. Corey Kluber could be back. But what are you getting out of those two? So, and then the Red Sox, we'll get into it, but it it was certainly a fun series, a lot of interesting dynamics. So, into studs and duds we go. Jason, your stud for the series. Yeah, um, he's been my stud before, and I'm going with him again. It's Nathan Avaldi. Uh Once again, just proving that he truly is the ace of this rotation. Um, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. 
seven and two thirds, eight strikeouts. He was dominant. Um, quite frankly, I think Cora should have let him face Stanton in that inning. Um, I think that might have been the downfall of that game. Um, but it happens, you know, it, it's unfortunately it was a great start by him that kind of got wasted. Uh, the bullpen came in at the end and gave it up. Ottavino was a mess. We'll get into him later. Um, but Nathan Avaldi is just, I, I said it before, the guy's a badass. He goes in there against, you know, and, and he was at home this time, so a little more comfort there. But he's going up against the Yankees. I don't care how bad the Yankees are, and they are bad this year. That's still a big game. And we all know it's a big game, especially with where the Red Sox are. It's not like they've got the division sealed up by, you know, six, seven games or anything. They're in a tight race. They're in a dogfight with the Rays. And the Blue Jays are up and coming. And the Yankees won't go away. Like, as bad as they are, they're not going to go away. They're, they're going to add at the deadline. They're going to be around. They're going to keep fighting. So this was a big weekend. And Nathan Evaldi went in there and pitched brilliantly. I mean, the amount of strikes he threw, like he was just pounding the zone. Um, I think it was, yeah, he threw 100 pitches. 82 of them were strikes. I mean, that was that's unbelievable for a guy like him who it's what, fastball, breaking ball? Like, and Grant, he's got a slider. He's got a curveball. You know, it's not like he's Tanner Houck. He's not a two-pitch pitcher. But for him to throw that high percentage of strikes against that kind of lineup and have that kind of success – it's been unbelievable. And I'm just so impressed with the fact that he stayed healthy. He's been consistent pretty much all year. I don't think he's, he's maybe had a few like rough starts here and there, but he's never had like a real blowout. As far as I remember, um, he's been your ace as much as people like are getting excited about Chris sale starting, you know, games for double a Portland and all that. It's like, I don't know. I, I'm good with Chris sale taking his time because Nathan of doing his job. He's, he's at the front of your rotation, and he's being your ace right now. So if the Red Sox were, doing, were to go into a playoff series, I would be totally confident with Nathan Avaldi Nathan starting game one. I really would. And that's not a statement I thought I'd be making uh, going into this season in spring training, certainly not last year. But right now, yeah, I feel confident. If he's starting game one of a playoff series, I feel good. He's That's how good he is. So, Nate Evaldi's four lines against New York this year. Six innings, a run on two, uh, one earned run, eight hits, six innings, seven strikeouts. He got the win. One run, seven hits, seven two-thirds, six strikeouts. The only run was on a home run. He got the win. One run on two hits in five innings, seven strikeouts, no decision. Two runs, seven hits, seven two-thirds, eight strikeouts, no decision. There is absolutely no reason why Nate Evaldi should not be 4-0 against New York, a former team of his. He has absolutely, unequivocally owned the New York Yankees in 2021. And this was arguably his second best start against New York just this year. I Every single time I, I feel that someone says, oh, well, he's going to throw a gopher game. I'm like, well, it's New York. So, no, uh, no. Uh, three of his last five starts are against New York. Three of his last five starts, he's gone seven innings or more. One of the biggest things that I keep bitching about because we don't have starters that can go six innings. And Nate Evaldi's having one of those classic hold my beer moments. I'll give you seven. So you can't say he's not your ace right now. And even when Chris Sale comes back, he's going to have to work his way to becoming the ace that Nate Evaldi has 
so eloquently become. Like there is, he's just doing better and better as the months go on. His ERA continues to drop from May on 4.5, 3.0, 2.84, and he's getting the job done. He's doing what he needs to do. Not allowing a lot of runs, going deep into games. He's giving his team an opportunity to do damage. He's 9-5 and five this year. He's arguably a pitcher that could probably have 12 or 13 wins. He's just not getting the support. So, I mean, solid stud. Solid. I agree with Jason in that Alex Cora should have let him face Stanton again. To start that inning, that kid from... Triple A, Estevan Floriel, I guess, let off with a double. And then with two outs, he just needed to seal the deal with Brett Gardner. And Gardner was able to grind out an at bat and then, you know, get a base hit. And the the thing about Stanton is in that game, he had struck out twice swinging and had a uh, fly ball out. So he hadn't gotten on base yet against Evaldi. And maybe Cora felt like Evaldi was slipping and tiring. You know, it was the eighth inning. But Giancarlo Stanton isn't going to grind out an at-bat like Brett Gardner's going to. Gardner's going to extend that at-bat eight or 10 pitches. And we've got a couple of guys on the Red Sox that can do that. Uh, Kike Hernandez, for instance, uh, Christian Vasquez, really good at that. Uh, Alex Verdugo, really good at that. So I definitely think he should have faced Stanton and probably get out of the inning, but go ahead, Charlie. So, um, Giancarlo Stanton this year against Boston is six for 41 with one extra base hit, two RBIs and 19 strikeouts. Giancarlo Stanton against Tampa Bay. Ready? Six for 41, a double two homers, five RBIs, 19 strikeouts. He has 38 strikeouts in 42 at-bats against the only two teams with merit against him. Uh, Is this really the guy that you are going to be super excited and pumped about for the next eight years? Jason hit it on the head. This is going to be brutal. Like, it's going to be painful. It's it's if, if you're a Yankees wor- fan, one of the worst trades ever. <laughs> you know, it was it was his MVP year, and Judge probably should have won the MVP on the American League side. He lost it to Altuve, who may or may not have won it in the most most ethical way possible. But a terrible trade. But getting back to Evaldi. I think we're about at the time where you can start to kind of have one eye on the postseason in terms of scenarios and whatnot. And I was looking at his stats against playoff contenders before we came on. I was hoping to find some really sparkling numbers and it's kind of mixed against Tampa in his start against them, seven innings pitch, one earned run. So that's pretty good. We're not going to face them uh, in the wild card, though. Uh, let's see. Oakland, a team we could face at any point in the playoffs. He has good numbers against them. His one start, six innings pitched, one earned run. So those are those are the, the better teams. 
Houston tuned him up for five runs in one of the earlier outings this season. I can't remember if that was in Houston or or when they came to Fenway, but in his only start, he did get roughed up. And then he also got roughed up against the Chicago White Sox. Six and one thirty gave up four and runs. So so they'll be playing matchups, I think, as far as what teams they're facing or whatever. You know, Sale could be the, the game one starter. Uh, possibly even, even Eduardo Rodriguez. And the thing, I think I did mention it on the last episode. I think I did anyway. If we're in a dogfight with Tampa going into that final week, we're not going to have the luxury of anything. If Chris Sale's turn to come up is game 161, and that's a critical game, guess what? He's pitching game 161. If, if Voldy's up game 162 and, and we have to win it, then he's pitching that game. So whether we win the division, well, if we win the division, we'll probably have the luxury of setting the rotation almost any way we want because there's a three- or four-day um, break while the wild cards get underway. But if we get relegated to the wild card, then all luxuries are out the window at that point. So uh, we'll see, I guess. And I don't know if we could get edged out by Oakland and maybe we're competing for the second wild card, in which case we might have to go all the way to Oakland, which we took two out of three out there, but typically we don't play out there. But Nonetheless, Nathan Avaldi looking better and better with each start. Like you said, Jason, 82 strikes out of 100 pitches. I don't know. That, that's that got to be the most of any starter this year, other than maybe DeGrom. <laughs> but he gets, he ends up uh, injured anyway. So, Charlie, your stud for the series. A uh, stud that I had for this one was Kike Hernandez. Uh, I felt like Kike has continuously just not only raised his batting average, like from the beginning of the first Yankee series, his batting average was uh, in mid-July, 234. He's already raised it uh, 10 average points. So, 0. .0, so what, a hundredth of a point um, from 234 to 244. But in that series um, that we just witnessed him play in, he's still doing work. I mean, he went five for 16. He had the most clutch, clutch hit that he could have had um, in the first game. Um, didn't really do too much up until that one. And, I mean, that two-run double, that sealed the deal. It, you knew that one was coming around, and who was on first base? Jaron Duran, oh, lightning in a bottle. He was scoring on that, too. Um, and it was just unreal. Like, one thing after another. It was just the perfect storm, and then for the rest of the series, continued to do work. So he's still, even after that first game, went four for 12, still knocked in a run, scored runs, not striking out a lot, which is really, really good. For me, it was just a no-brainer. He's kind of solidified himself as maybe not the only leadoff, uh, the sole leadoff hitter, but one of the leadoff hitters that uh, Alex Cora has gone to trust. And uh, if we can continuously see this level of production, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him hit 25 home runs and maybe 60 RBIs in the leadoff spot. Not bad. Yeah, um, I've said it before about Kike. He's a tone setter. 
Um, he's a spark plug for your offense. So when he's going, the rest of the offense goes too. And you saw it on Saturday night with that triple that he turned into sort of an inside the park home run that he didn't get credit for because there was an error, but still he kind of forced that play. He forced a bad throw from center field and scored the run right away. And that kind of set the tone for Saturday night. Um, he's, he's an energy guy and that's, you know, that, that role can't be, can't be downplayed. Like, yeah, he's not going to have the best batting average. He's not going to, you know, lead any statistical categories, but he's just kind of that guy that you need, especially heading into the postseason. He's got postseason experience playing with the Dodgers all those years. Like, I think that's really valuable. Um, I think having a veteran like him who's been there, done that, he knows what it takes in terms of like the grind to get to the playoffs, to get, you know, through a long playoff series, if if that's what it comes down to, to get to the World Series. That's what Kike is familiar with. He's done that pretty much his whole career. So if he can continue to be a spark plug and, you know, look, there will be times where we'll be really frustrated with him because he'll go 0 for 8 sometimes or 0 for 12 in a series and he just won't produce offensively. He's not consistent. That's true. But what is consistent is the energy he brings, uh, the motivation he brings, the clubhouse presence is always there. He's just a guy that this team rallies around, and it's sort of an intangible thing, and I, and I get why fans have a hard time latching onto that. I get why fans can get frustrated with that, but that is very important. For a team like this that is exceeding expectations, who's probably going to the playoffs unless something catastrophic happens, you want a guy like Kiki Hernandez on your playoff roster because uh, he knows how to get it done in those clutch moments. And he was clutch this weekend. When it came down to it, he was clutch. Um, the only game you can really get on him for was, what, Saturday night when he struck out against Chapman? I mean, what are you going to do? You know, like a role as Chapman can still deliver it sometimes. So um, that was like maybe the one minor disappointing moment of his weekend. Other than that, he was great. He was a catalyst, and this team's going to need him going forward. So uh, love watching Kike play, and – I, you know, I've been critical of him at, at times. I feel like rightfully so maybe at times unfairly. So um, it goes both ways, but I want to see more playing time for him. And as his team goes on and as they try to contend to win the division, he's going to be really important for sure. In game one, it was a very low scoring game. Tanner Houck was on. Jordan Montgomery was on. Not a lot of runs got scored. We were down one to nothing in the seventh inning. And uh, with the bases loaded, he hit a sack fly out to uh, middle center. And Verdugo was able to tag up, score, tie the game. And the one thing I've noticed throughout the weekend, by the way, None of those Yankees outfielders have arms. <laughs> they like Red Sox. Any of our outfielders would have would have gunned down any runners from from those spots in the outfield where they needed to, where those Yankees players needed to make those plays. And Greg Allen doesn't have an arm. Floreal. So we kind of reaped the rewards there. But Kike got Verdugo home. And then the ninth inning was where Charlie said he was super clutch. Two outs, 
Red Sox were down again at that point. Yankees had put up a couple more runs earlier. We'll get to that shortly. Um, but down by two, two outs. If Kike doesn't make a play here, we lose the game. And he hit a uh, line drive to left center, kind of bounced off the bottom of the monster. And, and like Charlie said, Verdugo scored from second. Seeing the speed of Jaron Duran, who came in to pinch run in that spot, uh, scored from from first base, and that tied it up, uh, you know, three to three. And uh, the Red Sox went on to win that game. Then today, game four was part of that big eighth inning rally. There were runners on second, first and second, and Kike was able to kind of pull the ball down the left field line and uh, Vasquez scored from second and um, it moved the runners over to second and third. So no out. So Kike got into second there and uh, I think it was Cordero at third base. Yeah, it was. And then Puecki was able to drive him in. Kike moved to second and then uh, Kike ended up scoring on a Xander sack fly and that was the go ahead run. So, absolute killer series by Kike. Again, I don't love him in the leadoff spot, but um, he's helping the team win in a lot of ways. He's done it uh, defensively a lot, although he has been playing mostly in the infield now uh, with Duran being called up. But I like it. And the thing I don't think we had seen from him prior to recently was late inning heroics and you're starting to see it now. So, um, easily the, the best, uh, impactful player out of the lineup this series. Now those were the studs getting into honorable mentions. Now there was a hero for this series. And to me, that was Phillips Valdez. Phillips Valdez. Erod, unfortunately, had some migraine issues that seemed to come up as the game was starting and only lasted one inning. And I was looking forward to Erod pitching because it was against Garrett Cole. And now I'm like, great, great. Erod's out. We're so screwed. We are so screwed. And oh, oh crap. Here comes Phillips Valdez. We're definitely screwed. And he had just been called up either that day or the day before because Salamora went onto the uh, injured list. And then Valdez just put that team on his back. He pitched three full innings, struck out seven of the 11 batters he faced over those three innings. Allowed uh, just one hit, gave up one walk, no runs, and got them basically, you know, through four innings and continued to give us a shot. So were, were you guys surprised? <laughs> I was definitely surprised. And um, I was I, I was in a panic, much like many Red Sox fans were when Rodriguez kind of uh, had to come out of that game because I thought, you know what? It's it's typical. Like all week, I feel like sports radio in Boston was talking about, wow, how lucky are the Red Sox? They've had no injuries that are starting pitching. Isn't that amazing? Like 
knock on wood, it's probably not going to last. And then all of a sudden we see Eduardo Rodriguez hands on his knees calling for the trainer being like, I can't do this anymore. I'm like, Oh, here we go. Now it's just migraines. So that's the kind of thing that he should make his next start. Fine. No problem. Um, but for Vilves Valdez to come in, like, and and I think this was Valdez basically saying, you know what? I know what the score is. Not the score in the game, but he knows the score of, like, the situation with the Red Sox bullpen. He's looking at guys like Yaxal Rios getting getting innings and, you know, Brandon Workman, who at first was kind of a reclamation, I can't believe we got him back kind of project. Now he's kind of revert back to what he was. Doesn't seem like he has anything left. Valdez is looking at at that bullpen going, I have an opportunity here. I have an opportunity to play my way back into this bullpen where I belong. And he went in there and just, he pitched great. I mean, just was lights out, looked confident, looked like he really wanted to be there. And look, I'll take Phillips Valdez just kind of with with an ax to grind with a chip on his shoulder, pitching his way back into that bullpen any day of the week. I, you know, get Rios out of here, get Workman out of here. I'm all set with those guys. Put Valdez back in because you know what? Honestly, and this isn't just recency bias. I've kind of always felt this way. I trust him more than those two guys. So if Valdez is back and one of those guys has to go, no problem. I'm good with it. Yeah, like I said earlier, man, uh, Valdez came in after Erod. Ready, Jason? Threw up on his shoes. Yeah. Who loves you, baby? Um, and struck out the first one, hit the next guy, and I was like, oh, shit, here we go. It's going to – all right, they'll win the next three if they're going to blow the first one. and uh, Or, or the, one, the, the next two if they blow this one. And uh, he then proceeded to strike out the next two after that. I was like, oh, well, okay. So now, now we got two outs and, you know, runner in scoring position. Oh, you got the next one out. Oh, okay, cool. Okay, so somebody's, somebody's a little upset and just continued to – to truck i mean i almost you almost felt bad taking him out like oh, i wonder like how much longer he could handle this but at the same time you want to preserve him you don't want to make you don't want to injure him um especially at the time there was no there was no point to having him go more than what he actually did and what he did was more than enough um i'm incredibly thankful because if anybody thought that phillips fellows was going to get seven strikeouts in three innings you'd be losing your money uh there's no way no one in their right mind would have thought that. I think the only person that anyone thought could have gone three and get seven punch outs would have been Garrett Whitlock. They had never tested uh, Phillips Valdez like that before. And I mean, he hasn't been up all that long. You know, it, this is one of the guys that gets sent down for a significant amount of time and then we don't see him for a while. And then he comes back, gets a little annoyed, pissed off, and does what he just did. So I completely agree with the MVP. I think that was one of the more underrated play calls. Um, as as far as like us not having since we only have two you know studs, uh, he and Hauk had to have been up there for other options. I just I wanted to give Kike his his due props after what he did. Yeah, and Valdez is a a fastball changeup guy, and he was able to just kind of get them out and, and keep them off balance. And I thought Cora might have might have gone to the well one times too many by sending him out for that third inning, but he was still fantastic. And I don't think Garrett Cole, when he got out of bed that morning, thought he was going to 
basically get outdueled by Phillips Valdez because Cole was out of there one inning later due to a 40 pitch inning and I think the third inning and um, the the next honorable mention uh, Raphael Devers hit a two run shot off of Garrett Cole in the fifth inning and like Kike Devers did it with two outs Devers it seems like he does all of his damage with two outs it's just unbelievable how clutch this guy is and he hits that home run that was in the fifth inning and uh, we were tied one to one and that home run it was a two-run shot made it three to one and then a couple of innings later again two outs that's that's when he does it Hits a three-run shot off of Nestor Cortez to make the score six to one. Essentially, put the game out of reach. So Devers continues to, you know, be the be the engine behind our offense. Xander's taken most of the month of July off, and another guy we're going to talk about has been up and down, but. But Devers has been consistent with every series, and he's taken the least amount of games off. And love what I'm seeing there. The other final honorable mention, Tanner Houck, was just absolutely lights out in that game one performance. Nasty, unhittable slider. I I, uh, I call them Chris Sale Jr., coming into the start on Twitter. Similar arm slot. Slider's every bit as nasty, and he's got his fastball. He did mix in a sinker a little bit and threw, I think, three splitters, which is still kind of a work in progress, but still definitely does need to get a a third pitch that he can throw 10 to 15% of the time. And hopefully they're working on that. He's had elbow issues uh, earlier in the year. So he's kind of getting stretched out right now. He pitched, I think, around 85 pitches or so. So had the rain not come, he would have probably got that final out. Nesson was saying he might come back out for the sixth. But I, I don't think Cora would have done that. But any thoughts on Devers or Houck? Um, I I would like to ask: if, Does anyone still want Nelson Cruz? <laughs> Red Sox fans, you, you guys still butt hurt about Nelson Cruz because uh, they worked it out that the equivalent would have been you'd have to give up Tanner Houck. So you guys, did you guys want that? You want to give up Tanner Houck for Nelson Cruz? No. Now I get it. Like, yeah, I, and I know that we don't like, and you know, because we're smart. Um, but all I heard from Red Sox fans was all the caterwauling about, oh, you could have gotten Nelson Cruz. That's a deal you should have done. How stupid are the Red Sox? They're not stupid. Nelson Cruz is a 40-plus-year-old DH who can't play the field. He has no fit here. Um, good for the Rays. They went and got him because they're desperate. That's what a desperate team does. They go out and get a DH who can hit home runs. Woohoo! Yay! They're still not winning the division. So did you want to give up Tanner Houck for that? I hope not. If you're a smart Red Sox fan, you should say, no, I don't want Nelson Cruz because I want Tanner Houck in my rotation next year. Um, Houck looks great. I, I still want a third pitch. I Selfishly, I know that 
all the all the Red Sox nerds say, well, he could just be the next two pitch sensation in baseball. No, no, it's probably not going to work. He, he's going to need a third, but that's okay. Right now, his two pitches are elite. Like they're really good. So great. Work on the third pitch. Work his way into the rotation. I'm good with that. I'm thrilled with how I'm excited that he's going to be in the rotation next year. Um, and I'm so glad that he's still here um, because I, the idea of trading him away for anyone like a Nelson Cruz just never sat right with me. I'm glad that the Red Sox were smart. They hung, they hung on to him. He looks great. He looks ready to go. I'm more afraid I'm, I'm, of Tampa than you are apparently, but <laughs> who just, Oh, I'm not. Yeah. They don't worry me at all. I'm not scared. Really? Nope. Okay. Nope. They nope. just dealt rich Hill to the Mets. Even they're like, here, take our best pitcher. And they, <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're as smart as everyone else thinks they are. So uh, maybe that's just me. I don't know. I, I just, I'm not scared of them. I, I think that they are a little too confident in their own organizational depth. Um, and I think trading for Nelson Cruz is a, and calling up Wander Franco and then trading for Nelson Cruz is absolutely desperation at its finest. So, um, I'm not worried about them. I'm really not. So I, I actually also am worried about, um, the Tampa Bay Rays just because of what they've been able to do to us so far. Do I think they're the best team in the American league East? Even after moves, I think it's it's starting to come out that the Red Sox are making a case and they at least deserve your attention. But uh, Tanner Houck, in three of his four appearances, granted he hasn't started each game, has only allowed two earned runs total as a starter. His ERA is down at 2.5. He's still 0-1. And he has a 2.5 ERA. He's averaging over strikeout printing he's only given up one home run um god it just it's crazy it's crazy to me um this is someone to keep your eyes on and devers has been my stud basically weekly like every single i feel like i pick him probably seven times out of ten um as soon as he mashed the second one i'm like oh here, here's my stud again but I, i'm gonna challenge myself to pick somebody else different they're just they're on it right now they're doing great just for the heck of it, I, I was looking at Tampa's depth chart, and they currently have Ryan Yarbrough, number one, and he has been pitching pretty well. That Shane McClanahan kid, number two, and then it, it kind of falls off after that. Well, Josh Fleming got off to a good start. He, he'd be their number three, but he's been tuned up a little bit recently. And uh, Tyler Glass now, there's no timetable on him, but they do expect him to come back, so I, I think that would be if they happen to to get past the wild card but but they seem to have a lot of confidence in their in their pitching either way so all right uh let's get over to the duds side of things jason who's your dub for the series yeah um adam Ottavino, not a great weekend for him uh ending in a third four runs four hits two walks. Um, this is a guy that I, I'm not ready to like jettison him off the team anytime soon. I still think that he can be a good reliever, but I think this guy's a mental case. I really do. I, now there were quotes that came out after that game Saturday night 
I don't know if they were real or not, but it was about him facing the Yankees and how he grew up a Yankee fan. And uh, it's tough to see those uniforms. And it kind of breaks my heart going up against them. Again, I, you know, not confirmed if those were real quotes or not, but either way, the guy seems just kind of like a mental case. Like, I think going forward, do I want Ottavino in the bullpen? Absolutely, I do. Yes. Do I want him in high leverage, close situations? Ugh, I'm not sure about that. I'm really not. I, I feel like he's the kind of guy with his kind of stuff, with that sweeping slider and the, the you know, all of that. Like, he's either got it or he doesn't. And if he doesn't have it, then Cora needs to be mindful of the three batter minimum and he needs to get him out of there after the third batter. If by the third batter, Ottavino doesn't have an out, or he's got runners on base and he's struggling, Cora needs to yank him. Like, that's it. You, you, can't, you can't sit there and go, no, he'll figure it out, because you know what? He's too much of a mental case. He doesn't have the mental fortitude, at least in my opinion, to get it back on track, to figure it out, to kind of take a breath, get the get the train back on tracks so like once the wheels start going he gets derailed and Cora needs to be mindful of that especially going forward especially in important games like if Ottavino's in there and he starts to struggle and he's walking the ballpark again after those three batters are up you get him out of there that's it like I, I just honestly I as as many home runs as he's given up and I know he's on the IL right now but I would trust Sawamora over Ottavino in a high leverage situation right now because I just think Ottavino is a little bit of a mental case. So, um, like I said, I you know still want him in the bullpen because I still think when he's on, he's nasty. But it's just one of those things where it's, it's kind of a roll of dice at this point. He's either on and they'll give you a really good inning and you'll feel good about it, or he's off and you're kind of sitting there going, oh boy, how quickly can we get this guy out because he's going to walk the ballpark if it's up to him. So this is, this is my response to that because I don't, I, I, I actually, I think I agree the most with out, out of the group. I think I agree the most with Terry and you um, with thoughts, opinions and everything. I'm going to disagree with you here. And this is the reason why going into this series, Adam Ottavino has allowed two runs or more. The answer is just two runs uh, in just two games all season. He's been one of the more consistent pitchers that we've had in the uh, bullpen. He's also the only Red Sox reliever that has not succumbed to the home run ball. He hasn't given up a major bomber to the baby bombers. It just hasn't happened. And walking into the series, four and a third innings, a walk, three strikeouts, one hit allowed, or one run, excuse me, on two hits, including a save and a hold. I would like to call this just an ugly anomaly I'm sure there are plenty of players out there in Major League Baseball that have to face the team that they grew up loving and worshiping and wishing that they could play for. And I think that is completely out of context because this is all the this is also the team that's facing he's facing that basically said, yeah, you're not worth it. We don't want you anymore. So I think that has a, a higher probability of being something that drives him. And he may have just been a little bit annoyed. I don't think this is going to be how he carries himself moving forward. The four runs that he allowed in this series ballooned his ERA for the month up to over six. Do I think that's how, how it's going to be for the rest of the month? Uh, no. If he gets maybe one or two more appearances, then he shouldn't be pitching for a couple of days anyways. But I think he's been one of our more, more consistent weapons, and I do trust him. He has 16 holds this year. 
I, I can't say that I don't trust someone who has 16 holds who carried a 2.5 ERA going into this series. He and Matt Barnes matched at 2.54. I, I just can't get behind it. I, I completely understand why he was a dud for you, and he was a dud for me too. But I think it's just another one of those, I think we just have to chalk it up to bad series. I'm not overly concerned long-term. If a team was going to figure him out and and be hell-bent on trying to figure him out, it's Adam Ottavino because they don't want to get beat by their own guy in a way. So that that's one thing. The, on the other hand here, he is 35 years old. He's been ridden like a rented mule all year. Uh, the eighth inning has been his almost exclusively when Barnes hasn't been available. He has pitched some, some ninth innings. So maybe a little bit of a breather could benefit him a little bit. If Alex Cora wants to reshuffle things, I don't see why Josh Taylor can't pitch some eighth innings if need be. Salamora's bicep strain doesn't seem to be too concerning, I don't think, because he was throwing a bullpen session today, which was seen by the Nesson cameras. So I think his timetable and return is fairly imminent. Uh, if it's not going to be the, the minimum 10 days, it won't be much longer than that. Admittedly, I'm not great with our bullpen depth on the farm, but I do know there are some guys down in AAA that, that could come up and and pitch some innings. So I'm not overly concerned, but um, the Yankees definitely did tune him up, and we've got a couple series left. One of his other bad outings, ironically, in July was against the Toronto Blue Jays, who we are about to face for four games. So I don't think we can hide him for four games, but we'll see. It will be encouraging, though, if he does have some good outings. But I think at 35 years old, I think Cora should maybe use him a little bit more sparingly at this point. And I, I think I think that's best for everyone. Any final thoughts before we uh, we move on? No, I, I think that's a fair point that, you know, he's he's had a lot of wear and tear. He's been pitching for a long time. So maybe it is time for Cora to utilize some other bullpen options in the eighth inning. Um, maybe give Adebino an extra day off. I mean, hell, if Xander Bogarts gets extra day offs, days off, I don't see why Adam Adebino can't. So why not? Absolutely. Charlie, go ahead. Your dud for the series. So my dub for this one was J.D. Martinez. Uh, two for 15 with a single, a double, a walk, four strikeouts, no runs, uh, knocked in, no home runs. You have to go back to the Atlanta series um, for the last series where he had no RBIs and RBI, uh, no homers and RBIs. And the last time that he had no homers and RBIs in a four-game series was literally the one right before that. He went six straight games without a homer or an RBI. He still managed to get on base each game. This series, not so much. So... Still struggled a little bit to uh, get some work done. Wasn't able to get on base in each game. And for your power hitter, 
I, again, would like to just call this like a little bit of an anomaly. The Yankees are a, a good team. The kicker is that in his last New York series, he did go two for 10 with just the solo home run as far as the uh, major hit is concerned. Um, I, I don't want to spend too much time on it because I just think it's just a little bit of a just a tough series. That's all. Yeah, I think it's a minor blip on the radar. Um, you know, he, he left four guys on base all weekend, so that's not a terrible number. But when you look at the weekend, it, a lot of close scores. So um, particularly the game you lost, 4-3, to three, you lost by a run. He left two guys on base in that game. So um, some missed opportunities there for J.D. But you know what? At the end of the day, it, I agree with Charlie. It's, you know, one bad series. It's not anything to panic about. Um, JD's been pretty much really good all year. Can't really ask for much more from him. So, um, tough series, you know, luckily you won three, three out of four. So it kind of goes under the rug. You don't really, you know, pay much attention to it. So, um, I'm sure he'll bounce back, but yeah, he could have done a little bit more for sure. He's actually seven for 35 in the last, uh, three series. So, not the um not not the most productive stretch for him. He also didn't have a walk in this series, so not sure if if something's going on, but this is a walk year for him, so hopefully he will get it figured out before long, but there's there's no reason to to believe he won't. Uh, some dishonorables to get into. Really only one. Brandon Workman had two appearances. Gave up uh, an earned run in each of those appearances. And didn't record a strikeout either. So I'm just kind of wondering. I kind of figured Rios would be the next man out, but I'm starting to wonder if it could be Workman. Rios had a pretty good series. He had, he pitched two scoreless innings in game two. And then I thought he had one more, I guess not. So two scoreless uh, innings in game two. And then today he was only in for a third of an inning and walked two people, which led to Josh Taylor coming in. And Taylor held the runners, and no one scored. So not the worst outing for Rios. But at this point, the pressure's on Workman because he could be the weakest link in that bullpen. Yeah, I I think the clock's running out on Workman. Um, and you know what? He was kind of, again, kind of like Pavetta in a way, like – I know that you traded him for Pavetta and then you sort of by a roundabout way ended up with him again. So he was sort of like found money on the street. Um, at least when he first came back here, but he looks cooked. He, he just looks totally cooked. His velocity's down. He doesn't have the same bite to his pitches anymore. Um, and I think, you know, with Sawamura due to come back at some point, I do think the Red Sox will add a bullpen arm at the deadline. I think it's either him or Rios. And I think at this point, Rios at least has something that you can work with. He's got stuff. He's got velocity. He's a little bit younger than Workman as well. Um, I think that they'll progress with him and they'll let Workman go because, yeah, he just looks like he has nothing left. 
Charlie, thoughts? I think the Workman experiment has uh, unfortunately come to a close. Um, thank you for your time. Uh, not going to sit here and pretend like you haven't done your work in Boston in the past, but it was uh, an experiment. We tried to see if it would work. It doesn't appear that it worked this time. Um, but, you know, we thank him for his service. He was incredibly vital. He provided a, a bit of a return on the trade, recognized his role and his place, was willing to come back and give it a shot, and maybe a team will be willing to give more of a chance to him. But I think that that curveball, while it's exciting and whatnot, is just people are sitting on it. They're waiting on it. And if he can't locate that pitch, I mean, it's it's not good. So, you know, B-dubs, thank you. We appreciate you, man. Best of luck to you. Well, all right, let's get into the next series. It's a critical one against the Toronto Blue Jays, and I say that because they have the offense to tune up literally any of our pitching. So we'll kind of get into that right now. I'm not familiar with the game one starter the Blue Jays are trotting out there, Thomas Hatch. He has a low ERA, but I... I can't tell if he's been utilized as a starter or has been mostly pitching out of the bullpen. That was a TBD start uh, until he was slotted in there today. He will face Nick Pavetta in game one. Pavetta's been up and down. He's seen a lot of Toronto, which makes me nervous at this point. Eventually, they're going to kind of catch up to him, you would think, and... Could get tuned up, so what do you guys think of game one? Uh, I'm going to just go ahead and say this is going to be a dub. This guy hasn't pitched more than two innings at all this year, except for one game, I believe, at the beginning of the year. Make that two, excuse me. Two and a third, two and two thirds. Since then, hasn't pitched more than two. He's kind of like a poor man's, a very poor man's Garrett Whitlock. Um, I just... I don't see that. And you're facing Nick Pavetta, and I'm just not going to disrespect uh, Naughty Nick over here. Uh, he's just getting it done. I say the Red Sox win the first game handedly. Yeah. Um, Hatch has some decent minor league numbers, but he's not a standout. He's not a, you know, he's a 26 year old kind of took a long time to get up to the majors. Um, if Pavetta's on, then he should be good. I think the Red Sox should win this game because. I think their offense is too good. I, again, they're not going up against a top prospect here. It's a 26-year-old who's had a couple of good minor league starts. He's he's had some success up in the majors so far, but uh, he's running into a dangerous offense. Red Sox should outscore them at least, and they should win. I just want to see a solid pitching performance from Pavetta and yeah. see him get settled back into a groove. Game two, Garrett Richards versus Robbie Ray. Ray has been pitching very well, especially against us. This will be Richards' fifth start against the Blue Jays. And three out of his previous four, he gave up exactly four earned runs. The one anomaly in there was just a two-run outing. So, like... Pavetta, I'm a little bit worried here. Maybe they've seen Richards a lot and they just saw him a week or so ago. So I'm just hoping he finds a way to win and he does typically find a way to win or, or help us 
you know, I... be competitive. Go ahead, Charlie. So it's adorable that we're doing that, but it's Garrett effing Richards, guys. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. I just can't. I can't drink the sauce on this kid, even though it's cute that all of a sudden now he's got something back on the ball. Uh, Robbie Ray is the uh, the one to watch in this one because are we going to see June 13th Robbie Ray when he struck out 10 of us in six innings? Or are we going to see July 21st where he struck out four and five innings and took the L? So... Um, overall, I still think that Robbie Ray has the uh, ability to get the job done, especially considering I-, I trust Robbie Ray to go more than six innings to get it done. Robbie Ray had five quality starts out of six in June. He's had three out of four so far. Three of his starts have gone six and two-thirds or more, two seven innings, and he faced Tampa Bay twice, including a one-hitter. Like, I just I- – I think it- the writing is on the wall for this one. It's, it's going to be the Robbie Ray show, and Richards will just be there. So I think there there's only one hope for this game, and that's that Cora benches his uh, two crappy left-handed hitters. And by that, I mean Franchi Cordero and Fred Lynn Jr. out there in center, <laughs> Jaron Duran. Um, because apparently the top prospect who is going to be the next, you know, effing Willie Mays can't hit left-handers. So maybe he puts out a good lineup. Uh, maybe, you know, guys like Renfro and JD kind of wake up against a left-hander because they, they generally do. Um, but... I also have no confidence in Garrett Richards anymore. And if all of you, you know, it's sorry for being the contrarian a-hole, you know, on Twitter, but if you guys want to yell at me for saying I don't believe in a Red Sox pitcher, then go ahead. But I think Garrett Richards' days are numbered. I think the Red Sox will add a pitcher at the deadline. I think Garrett Richards will find his way out of the rotation. Uh, He'll take the Matt Andres role of being a mop-up guy because that's all he's good for these days. So, I'd like to think he knows he's pitching for his job, but I also think that guy's such a basket case that he's going to know he's pitching for his job and he's going to psych himself out so much that he's going to crap his pants on the mound. So I think that's going to be a loss for the Red Sox. I think Robbie Ray will just outpitch him and hopefully, hopefully, by the grace of God, that will be the last we see of Garrett Richards starting a Red Sox game this year. Hopefully. Uh, absolutely. So the next matchup in game three on Wednesday, that is Tanner Houck versus Steven Matz. Matz has actually looked good in four out of his last five starts. The one of those five that didn't go well was against the Red Sox. So hopefully we'll tune him up again. I'm really intrigued to see what Tanner Houck can do with arguably the most dangerous lineup in Major League Baseball. And I kind of like the Red Sox in that one. but Yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and, and continue riding the hot streak. Are we going to again see Steven Matz of June or July? June, he crushed us. July, uh, Sorry, June or, or May. In May, he got, he got spanked. But I refuse to bet against Tanner Houck who continues to be a stud with little to no run support. And this is where it's going to be tough. Cause if how can't get this one done, I actually only have the Red Sox winning um, one out of four, because I, I don't have faith in Garrett Richards. I don't have faith in Erod right now. And, and this is the anomaly game. So I could see them potentially winning just one out of four as my bold prediction if Hauk gets rocked, 
two is is the the most i think they'll get um it just remains to be determined like how how is matt's going to respond and can how continue to be as dominant as he was yeah i like the red sox in this one um again it two of your worst hitters duran and uh cordero probably won't play in this game because left-hander so have to protect them against him um, and Hauk is going up against kind of a right-handed heavy lineup. As good as Toronto is, it's Vlad, Bichette, it's Teoscar. Like, it's a lot of right-handed bats. That's what he excels against. It's not a lefty, strong lineup. So I like Hauk against that lineup. I I don't think Steven Matz is any great shakes. I think the Red Sox have figured him out. So I think they'll put out a good lineup there. They'll They'll score a lot of runs. Um, and I think Hauk will pitch pretty well. So, yeah, I think the Red Sox will, will do well in that one. They'll win. The fourth and final game of the series is Eduardo Rodriguez versus Hunjin Ryu. I'm not particularly worried too much about Erod. If it was a migraine, okay. At this point, we're getting kind of a a well-rested Eduardo Rodriguez. He's only faced Toronto twice this year. Uh, once was in April when he was cruising through that entire month. He pitched six innings, uh, gave up only two earned runs. Then he faced them again in the middle of May, only lasted five innings, gave up five earned runs. But that was during the stretch where he was absolutely terrible. So they're going to be seeing a better sharper version of him this time based on his his last few starts anyway where he was mixing his pitches and commanding everything very well he is facing Ryu who is their ace outside of the reemergence of Robbie Ray but I like Erod in that one I I think he's going to pitch well I mean will we win it that's tough to say because the bullpen has to come in after him and that's an explosive lineup, but I think he's going to give us a good shot to win. So uh, with Erod, I'm still a little bit concerned. Uh, Ryu has owned us and got kind of owned. Um, <laughs> I still think that I, I'm kind of leaning Toronto on this one, and the reason for that being is Erod loves to throw a lot of pitches and he's the type of guy who throws 100 pitches after four-plus innings. And if you got guys in that lineup that can work counts, especially since they have a heavy artillery lineup with big guns, uh, big bats, I actually can see Erod seeing a quick exit and possibly not even lasting four innings. And that's assuming you got Vladdy working counts, Springer's back, Semyon does work. Thank God... Rowdy Telez isn't there. I've been saying that. Dumbest name in baseball. Uh, but I'm so happy he's not in that lineup. And it, it just keeps on going and going. There's, you know, the kids. You have Bichette. You have Biggio. I just don't I don't want to face that lineup, especially especially with Erod. I almost feel like even though he's doing better, he's still fragile. So I, I actually have this one going to Toronto. That's me. Yeah, I actually I have the Red Sox in this one. Um, I think Erod will bounce back. I, I don't. I think the migraine game was kind of a blip. It was just, you know, um, as someone who suffers from migraines myself, I know how those go. It's random. It's you know they suck, but it happens. Uh, Rodriguez has been good lately. He's he's been kind of on a tear. 
So, and I think Hunter and Ryu, he's had a good year, but the one number with him that sticks out to me is the home runs. He's on pace to give up a career high in home runs. Uh, I think his highest was 22. He's already given up 14 this year. And I think the Red Sox get to him. Now, you know, that that's going to be JD. That's going to be Hunter Renfro, maybe even Rafael Devers. I, Sander Bogarts, to me, he's concerning me with his wrist. I don't think he's got the power swing right now. But I could see the Red Sox jumping on him. And, you know, they've seen him enough times. They know what to expect. And if he's giving up more home runs, that means that his stuff is a little less sharp than it has been in years past. So I think they'll jump on him early. Um, I think they'll give Rodriguez an early lead. And I think Rodriguez is determined to kind of bounce back and show, hey, it's, you know, I'm good. I'm ready to go. Again, he sees the tea leaves too. Everyone's talking about Chris Sale. Everyone's talking about the trade deadline. He knows that he has to prove himself in this rotation too. So unlike Garrett Richards, I think Rodriguez has the balls to actually go out there and prove it. So I think he'll pitch well, and I think the Red Sox will win that game. They'll win three out of four. Rowdy Telez, if anyone's curious, got traded to the Milwaukee Brewers and in 11 games is hitting 350 with a 462 on base percentage and an OPS north of 1100. So he has found a home there in in Milwaukee for now at least. There's no DH, so I'm guessing he's playing first base, but uh, I was a little surprised to see that. I'm going to say two for two in this series, two, two games to two. The one thing we also have to consider here is, is their first series back in the Rogers Center, so maybe they'll be feeling the energy of the crowd. Um, you know, Canada took them a long time to, to loosen up those restrictions, so um, I'm glad we're not playing in Buffalo. I thought that series was dumb. It was a launch pad. That was not baseball. So uh, so anyway, so we will wrap with that 24 hours after this episode is uploaded. The next edition of Hot Take Tuesday will be available. Going to be some interesting talk in there. We're going to we're going to talk some Raphael Devers extension talk and. Um, I've got some I've got some scenarios to kind of compare this to so I think that's going to be a fun episode so tune in for that everyone have a good start to your week take care